Father, I pray that as we go into chapter 31 of Ezekiel, that you would just continue to bless our hearts. There is something here for us. We thank you for these words that were inspired by you for the prophet Ezekiel to write down 2,500 years ago. And Lord, I pray that we would be teachable and attentive to these things, and, and we would learn, and Lord, that we would be instructed. And I do pray that you would just help us to focus on the teaching right now as we go through these chapters that are before us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 25 of Ezekiel through chapter 32 is this section of Ezekiel that proclamations are coming against the nations around uh, Judah. The Lord has been speaking judgment that would come to Jerusalem. Uh, Ezekiel focuses a lot on Jerusalem because Ezekiel would be taken off in the second deportation uh, to Babylon in 597 B.C., only about 11 years till the destruction of Jerusalem would come in 586 B.C. So Ezekiel has been addressing the false teachers, the false prophets there in um, Judah, even in Babylon. Uh, he is addressing the judgment that's going to come against Jerusalem. But then in this section that we've been in, in chapters 25 through 32, we see that the Lord begins to give um, judgment these proclamations against nations around Judah. And that is the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites, and the Philistines. And we saw Tyre and Sidon. There was a few chapters dedicated to uh, the king of Tyre and Sidon. We saw last time in chapter 28 uh, how uh, the king of Tyre was a picture of Satan himself, Lucifer, who would sin full of pride and become uh, Satan. Uh, we looked at that very carefully. And then also we began to look at this proclamation against Egypt. And that's what we are going to continue to see as it will go through chapter 32, um, this uh, chapter 32, this lamentation against Pharaoh and Egypt. And, and then chapters 33 through 35, that we see Ezekiel speaking about the watchmen on the wall, the you know, irresponsible shepherds, once again speaking to the nation. And then in chapters 36 to the end of Ezekiel, we're going to see that it's very prophetic. And it's some of the richest portions that I believe that we have in Scripture um, and in the book of Ezekiel. So we're really excited about continuing to move forward. But in chapter 31, we see that he's continuing to um, the Lord speak against Egypt, against Pharaoh. We read now, it came to pass in the 11th year, this is chapter 31, verse 1, in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom are you like in your greatness? So who do you compare yourself you know, to Pharaoh? And Pharaoh was full of pride. He saw himself as as being so exalted, so great. And so, you know, who are you, Pharaoh? Who are you, you know, in your greatness? And, and he's going to begin to mention other nations that came on the scene that were great as well. But the thing is, as we go through this, one of the themes that we have talked about in these proclamations against the nations is pride. You know, the king of Tyre uh, was one that was full of pride. He exalted himself. They, they were uh, dealing with uh, the, you know, uh, 
in luxury merchandising and luxury items and ships coming in. And they were very prosperous because of that. And all the nations that they would deal with and they would uh, have trade with. So the king of Tyre saw himself as being very prideful. And that's why we saw that section there concerning Lucifer and, and that mentioned there who Lucifer was prideful and fell and became Satan. So here Pharaoh the same thing, just this pride, um, comparing himself to others, being mighty in his eyes compared to others. But I do want to remind us that we need to be very careful as Christians that we don't just compare ourselves to others, that we don't think, hey, I'm better than him, I'm better than her, I'm a better Christian than them. We don't compare ourselves to other people. What we are to do is we are to ask the Lord, Lord, um, who am I? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing in your eyes? Am I pleasing? We're to humble ourselves. And the Bible speaks about that, uh, that the foot of the cross is flat. We all have equal access to the cross. We're all sinners. And we're not to be comparing ourselves, thinking we're better than anybody else um, in the body of Christ or when it comes to life. And we're to, as the Bible says, look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others, that we're to esteem others better than ourselves, Philippians chapter 2. We're to look out and have preference for one another. We are to have love that is without hypocrisy, Romans chapter 12. All these things that are given to us as we live our lives. But let's continue in verse 3. Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon. Of course, Assyria was a mighty empire that ended up defeating Egypt, uh, was great before Babylon uh, became the world power. They're the ones that took the 10 northern tribes off into captivity, the 10 tribes of Israel, the house of Israel. And we know that they, with fine branches that shaded the forest on a high stature, and its top was among the thick boughs. The waters made it grow, and underground waters gave it height, with their waters, uh, rivers running around the place where it was planted, and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. So there in verse 4, speaking of the channels that they would you know, irrigation channels that they would uh, build uh, to be able to plant trees and have orchards and things like that. We continue reading here in verse 5, Therefore its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its boughs were multiplied and its branches became long because of the abundance of water. And it sent them out. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in the boughs. Under its branches all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow all great nations made their home. Verse 7, thus it is beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches because its roots reached the abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. The fir trees were not like its boughs and the chestnut, tree, chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. I made it beautiful with multiple uh, multitude of branches so that all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. Very interesting. You were like mighty Assyria, or you are like a mighty tree, great in beauty and strength. But God took down the Assyrians, uh, and the Assyrians were defeated. Matter of fact, you remember that it was the Assyrians that surrounded Jerusalem, as we read those chapters there in 
chapter uh, 36 and 37 of Isaiah. And they were mighty. They were about ready to destroy Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, the king, who was a godly king, and, and the leaders, they fasted. They prayed before God. And an angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. That's incredible. And as we read that, it was at that time that the Assyrian Empire began to decline in power. And, and here it's like you, Pharaoh, Pharaoh who, of course, was a world power. And it was Judah in the house of Israel that was looking for Egypt to help them against the Assyrians, looking for Egypt to help them against the Babylonians. And so here the Lord is saying, God took down the Assyrians, and he's going to deal with you, Pharaoh. And you see yourself as so tall, so mighty, so, so strong, so beautiful. But he's going to take you down like he has the other nations. And then in verse 10, therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height and it set its top among the thick boughs and its heart was lifted up to its height. Therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness and aliens, the most terrible of the nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains. And in all the valleys its boughs lie, broken by all the rivers of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. Verse 13, oh, its ruin will remain, and all the birds of the heaven and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches. And so that no tree by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the thick boughs, that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them. For they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit. So Egypt, who stood so tall, who is so strong, uh, so uh, together, so beautiful, thick boughs, and as, you know, established the the like a tree by the rivers, by the waters, so mighty uh, of a nation. And here that the Lord is saying, Egypt, you're going to go down to the pit. You thought you're so mighty. You stood so tall. And we also know that you remember as we finished chapter 30 last time that um, the prophecy was given how Babylon would plunder Egypt and that Egypt would never become a world power again. And it never has been a world power again. It's still a nation. It's still around today. But it never was the world power like it was at the time that, remember, the children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years uh, under the slavery of Egypt. Egypt was the world power at that time. And even remained, uh, even though they would be defeated by the Babylonians in their history, but they were a powerhouse at that time and never again to be a world power. But we continue in verse 15 as we finish the chapter. Thus says the Lord God, In the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep 
because of it. I restrained the rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. Of course, without water, the trees begin to wilt. And remember this, as there's a lot of mention restraining the rivers and great waters that Egypt had the Nile River that ran down through the nation. And that was the lifeline of Egypt. That's where it was fertile. That's where, um, you know, they planted it. Um, uh, that's what, one of the reasons they became mighty was because of it. And the river was everything. You know, the, the river was something that was even uh, the crocodiles, the frogs, were worshipped as gods in the river, all these things. But he says, I'm going to dry it up. And I made the nation shake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to hell together with those who descend into the pit and with all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best Lebanon. All the drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. They also went down to hell with it, with those slain by the sword and those who were in its strong arm dealt uh, that is dwelt in the shadows among the nations. Verse 18, to which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. So here you're going to go down, Pharaoh. You thought you were, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else, um, and you're going to come down. And it's showing us again that there's no room for pride. One of the common themes that we have seen that the Lord dealing with these nations is that the leaders and the nations themselves were very prideful. They thought nothing would happen to them. You know, the problem is the word pride, the middle word is I. And we need to be careful as Christians that we don't become prideful. And we see how much of a terrible sin that it is. It is what caused Lucifer to fall and become Satan because of pride. The eyes there in Isaiah chapter 14, I will exalt to heaven. I will sit in the congregation. I will sit on the throne. He wanted to be worshipped. It was very prideful. But I want to remind us of, I think it's, uh, as we consider this and we read these verses, we think, what's really in here for me? So Pharaoh's going to fall. He's going to be taken down to the pit. Egypt is going to uh, be judged. But for you and for me, as we know that we're not to be prideful, and pride is something for, for all of us that we need to be careful because it can come into our hearts very subtly. And we become prideful. We, we love it when, when people uh, begin to prop us up or uh, begin to really compliment us. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with encouraging one another and blessing one another with words of encouragement and, and, and really just um, encouraging each other in that way. But we always need to keep it checked. You know, they say, uh, don't, you know, read your own press clippings because either it will put you down or it will exalt you. And one of the things that, that we need to be careful of is that we don't begin to think, yeah, you know, I'm really good and God is, you know, so blessed to have me serving in the kingdom. Or uh, we begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And in the book of Romans, remember chapter 12 starts that new section about this is how we live for the Lord. And it's a familiar verse of, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Paul writes, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he's setting the stage for the next chapters as Paul begins to tell us how it is that we live for Christ, uh, how to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God because of the mercies of God. He's been so merciful to us that God would send his son to die on a cross for you and for me. We all needed to be rescued. We all needed to be saved. We were dead spiritually. That's what the book of Romans is talking about up to this point. And, and now we are to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And then he goes into the, the, one of the very first things here in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me for everyone who is among you, don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But think soberly as God dealt to each one of you a measure of faith. In other words, one of the very first things that Paul writes in this section, how we can be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, is don't think too highly of yourself. And he goes on and he talks about don't, you know, let your love be without hypocrisy. You know, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. Uh, continuing steadfastly in distributing the needs of the saints, given the hospitality, you be one that you are to give preference to one another. So don't think too highly of yourself. And that's a real key for us. And I think that that's a daily check for us. Lord, help me not to become prideful. Help me not to just look down at others, think I'm better than others, compare myself to others, even as Pharaoh. Who do you compare yourself to, Pharaoh? Well, I'm not going to compare myself uh, thinking that I look so much better than you um, when I compare myself to you. Um, We need to be sober-minded, and we need to be humble before the Lord and not think too highly of ourselves. And that's a constant thing that we need to be reminded of. And then in chapter 32, as we continue here, still dealing with uh, Pharaoh and still dealing with um, Egypt, this lamentation that continues. And it came to pass in the 12th year, in the 12th month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like a young lion among the nations, and you're like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet, and fouling the rivers and so you're like a lion a monster able to devour what you wanted uh you did what you please and intimidated other nations well god is going to say you are nothing and and as we continue verse 3 of chapter 32 thus says the lord god i will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people and they will draw you up in my net And then I will leave you in the land. I will cast you out on the open fields and cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens. And with you I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. And so this Pharaoh is nothing compared to God. And and he gets out his net and captures Pharaoh. And one of the other things, too, that I want to pass along is is that as you read these proclamations against these nations and against the leaders here in their pride and how great um, that they saw themselves as being in their own eyes and comparing themselves to others, is that it really reminds me, and, and we need to be reminded of this, is the Lord is the one, that he's on the throne, that he's truly in control, that these nations, that he is the one, 
that is able to exalt a nation and he's able to bring a nation down. But eventually, the nations of the world are going to come to an end. And it's going to be God's kingdom that's going to be established. So that brings comfort to me. That, that helps me to know that the Lord is in control, that, that he gives these proclamations. He used Babylon, we have seen, to bring judgment against his people for his purposes. And, and then he would deal with Babylon. And, and then the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, all these things. And the Lord knows you know, these nations. He, he knows that, that what it is that they're going to do. And he's the one that exalts them and brings them down and uses them for his purposes. And it's really quite amazing as we have that perspective. We need to keep that as well because in the world today, as, as we see things that are going on, that we need to continue to remember that the Lord is on the throne that he's in control. And everything that's happening right now with the nations and, and in the world today, it, it is all culminating to where we're going to see that the kingdom of God is going to come and be established forever. And I need that perspective. I need that reminder because I can get discouraged and I can get overwhelmed and all the things that are going on. But as we continue here in verse 6, that we read, And I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains. And the riverbeds will be full of you. When I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud. And the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. So what will happen to Egypt um, is there's going to be darkness that's going to come. Now, this reminds us of a couple things. That at this point, again, here is Ezekiel writing this um, 2,500 years ago. But before that time, um, we know that there were the plagues that came down upon Egypt. And the ninth plague, as Moses is there, and God's going to deliver his people out of Egypt, that the ninth plague, that there was darkness. And it tells us, it's interesting, when you read Exodus chapter 10, that it was a darkness that could even be felt. So there was a darkness of time. It was a darkness that can be felt. It was just completely dark. Only in the homes of, of, the, of God's people was there light. And today, as it reminds me that there's darkness all around us. And what I pray is that our homes, that our homes would be ones that we have the light of Jesus Christ that is shining in our homes. That in our homes that, that people would see the reality of Jesus Christ. And the, this dark world needs to know um, that uh, there is light and truth that is found in Jesus Christ that is in us Christians and we can see the darkness around us and we can feel it can't you it's a darkness that can even be felt more and more that we live in a world we live in a culture we live in a nation that's getting further and further away from the ways of the Lord it's getting darker and darker it's a darkness that can even be felt and I think a lot of us are feeling it and we can feel the spiritual darkness around us and the oppression and, and it can get us down. That's why we need to keep close to the light. We need the light in our homes and in this church and be a testimony and a reflection of that light. 
And so the light that was in Egypt, and, and here he, it, he speaks of it, and in his belief in verses 6 through 8 that I just read, that is speaking of yet a future time in the tribulation period, that it's going to be a time, the day of the Lord. You can read in Joel chapter 2 how the, the sun will be, not give us light, the moon will not give her light, um, that the sun's going to be darkened. And speaking of that, the bright lights in the heavens that will make dark over you and bring darkness over your land. So is this speaking of future time in the tribulation period that we do know in the book of Revelation, even in the sixth seal that is opened up, let me read it to you, that we read that uh, I looked and opened the sixth seal. This is chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by mighty wind. So we know that it's going to happen. The day of the Lord, speaking of that period of time, the tribulation period, uh, all the way to the end of the tribulation period with the second coming of Jesus Christ and then the millennium reign. But the Old Testament speaks of judgment that is followed by blessing. And so we see that term, and it's going to be a time where this, the sun won't give its light, the, the moon is going to turn to blood, and that's what it's speaking of here. So is it speaking of that time of the tribulation period that will come. And it very well could be a reference to that that will take place. But we continue in verse 9. I will also trouble the hearts of many people when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you and their kings shall be hor horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them. And they shall tremble every moment, every man for his own life, in the day of your fall. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. By the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them, the most terrible of nations, I will cause your multitude to fall. And of course, you remember that at the end of the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah was taken captive, and the remnant that was left behind, and they refused to listen to the word of Jeremiah that would say, hey, don't go to Egypt. Stay here in Judah. Everything will be okay. But they went off to Egypt. And the Lord said, if you go to Egypt, you're going to be destroyed because Babylon's going to come in. And Babylon did come in and kill Pharaoh and, and, and took over Egypt. And um, those who went off to Egypt ended up dying. So he's talking about that time, the mighty swords of the uh, Babylonians, um, the destruction that would come. The swords of the mighty warriors, they shall plunder the pomp of Egypt and all its multitude as we continue in verse 12 to be destroyed. And also I will destroy all its animals from besides its great waters. The foot of man shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hoofs of animals muddy them. Then I will make their waters clear and I will make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate and the country is destitute of all that once filled it, when I strike all who dwell in it, and then they shall know that I am the Lord, verse 16, this is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nations shall lament her. They shall lament for her for Egypt and for all her multitudes, says the Lord God. So those nations that look to Egypt for help, um, all those nations that sided with Egypt, they would fall. When Egypt fell, they would fall as well. And their trust was in Egypt. And as we have discussed, 
You can go back to Isaiah chapter 30, that again, God's people were looking for counsel for Egypt. They were looking aside for Egypt, help us against the Assyrians. And the Lord comes along and says, Woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you take counsel, but not of me. And Pharaoh's not going to be able to help you. And the fast Arabian horses are not going to help you. But come to me. And we know that it would be later on against the Babylonians that Judah was looking to, to um, you know, Egypt once again. And once again, the Lord is saying, they're not going to help you. They're not going to be able to help you in the situation that you're in. Egypt is a picture of the world. And what can happen today is that as we as Christians have been brought out of Egypt, just as God's people were brought out of Egypt, out of the world, we've been brought out of Egypt, and there can be a tendency we want to go back to the world. We want to go back to the world's philosophy, the world's ways, the world's counsel, and we need to be careful not to do that. And even in some circles of Christianity, there's an emphasis on you know, the world's ways and the world's philosophy and the world's acceptance and all of that. And in Isaiah chapter 30, when he said, Woe to the rebellious children of Israel. You take counsel not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit. And they strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and trust in the shadow of Egypt. But the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame. And I believe that the Lord, as we are here at this point, and I know that a lot of us, we know this, but to be reminded of what God is saying to us, to come to him. And he said to the children of Israel that in returning in rest you shall be saved and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But then he said you would not come. That the Lord desires for us to go to him. To go to him. You know, Paul, when he was writing to the church of Colossae, he would write something so very, very important in chapter 2. And he would say that in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, speaking of Jesus. And he said, I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And he goes on, he says, let no one cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. If we go to the world in the ways of the world and the philosophy and deceit of the world, and that which is not of Christ, you are going to get cheated. And here's some of the, the, the saddest words when he says, but you would not, you would not come to me to be saved, to be strengthened, to receive my wisdom. I wanted to work, but you would not come. And so he says, number one, go to him. And he says, therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Blessed are those who wait for him. And when we go to the Lord, to wait on the Lord, and that can be a hard thing for us to do because we want God to, to work right away. And he says, let me work in my timing and in my way. But he promises to be gracious to those who wait for him. And we need to learn to wait on the Lord. What happens we get impatient. Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness, Moses? Why did you bring us out here? And they murmured and they complained. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to the way that we were living. You know, we remember what it is, the food that we ate and everything. But they had forgotten how they were in bondage. They had forgotten that the taskmaster whips were on their backs and 
baking bricks in a hot, blistering sun. And we forget about those things, and we think it'll be easier if we just go back to the world. Don't go back. Wait on the Lord. So we go to him, we wait on him, and then as we do, your ears will hear a word saying behind you, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. And I know that I've taught on that very chapter a lot of times and mentioned it, but I think it's so important that we have it tucked in our hearts, that we trust in the Lord, that we look to his counsel, that we look to his ways, not going to Egypt, to be our strength, to be our wisdom, to be our help, to be our comfort, but to go to the Lord. Egypt's going to fall. It's going to collapse, you know. And it is Jesus that as he finished the Sermon on the Mount, you recall that he said, you be the wise man that built his house upon the solid rock, so that when the winds came and the, the wind blew against the house and the rains came and the floods, that house was able to stand. And he is like the one who hears these sayings of mine and then does them. Listen, let us be wise and build upon the rock, the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Build our lives upon him because the storms come in life. And many of you that are listening right now, we've been through storms. This last year has been a storm to one degree. Uh, we know that, um, that other storms happen in life. You've experienced it perhaps, other difficulties and trials. And the way to be strong in the stand is to, to be yielded to the Lord and build our lives upon him. The rock, Jesus Christ, he's our stability. But don't be like the one who hears these saying of minds and then does not do them. You see, we're going to see that as we continue on, that in a you know, few chapters here of Ezekiel, that it's going to be the Lord that's going to grieve because you did not hear my word and, and you didn't do my word. You refused my word, you didn't do my word, and we're to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. We'll talk about that more next time. But if we build upon the world, listen, then we are building on shaky ground. And when the storms come, and they do come in life, Jesus said, great will be to follow that house. So these are harsh words that we know that are given to Egypt, but listen, there are a lesson for you and for me to take heed, to trust in the Lord. He's the one that is mighty, almighty God. He's the one that is righteous. His word is truth. And we are so blessed because we have him in our lives to guide us. And we have the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts in the midst of the darkness. So as we continue, verse 17, the young man of Avon and uh, Pi-Beseth shall fall by the sword. And these cities shall go into captivity. Tephanus, as we read here in, um, in the chapter here, um, actually, I'm going to go back to chapter 32, and I was reading from chapter 30, but um, as we look at verse, let me start again, 17, chapter 32, and it came to pass in the 12th year, the 15th day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, wail over multitude of Egypt, and cast them down to the depths of the earth. Her and her daughters of the famous nations, with those who go down to the pit, whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and be placed with the uncircumcised. So harsh words, they were beautiful to the world, going down to the pit. 
there are those who, who seem so beautiful and uh, the ways of the world seem beautiful and, and all of this, but without Jesus, they go down to the pit. And then verse 20, they shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell. With those who help him, they have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. So God will list the other nations that will be in the pit with Egypt as we finish up the chapter here, verse 22, Assyria is there, all her company, all her graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the recess, recesses of the pit, and her company is all around her grave, and all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who caused terror in the land of the living. There, there is Elam. Now, verse 24, Elam is over where Persia was, today called Iran. So that is east of where Judah was. Elam was right along the Persian Gulf, um, that little empire. We saw that there was a proclamation against Elam that Jeremiah would give, an interesting prophecy. But all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth, who caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. So they have set her bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though their territory was caused in the land of the living. Yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit, and it was put in the midst of the slain. And then we read in verse 26, Mishael and Tubal and all her multitudes with all her graves around it. When we get to Ezekiel 38, which is yet prophetic, we're going to see that these two nations are actually going to be mentioned. And we're going to talk more specifically about that and, and how God's going to come against those nations in this future war called the, the, the War of Ezekiel 38, the Battle of Ezekiel 38. Absolutely fascinating. But these two are mentioned, Meshach and Tubal, and their multitudes with all their graves. And though they cause their terror in the land of the living, they do not lie with the mighty who are fallen in the uncircumcised, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities will be on their bones. Because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living, and you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with the slain with the sword. Interesting that he says to them that their iniquity will be on their bones. Uh, we know that in Ezekiel 38, in that word is yet prophetic, could this be a reference that the, those who go in won't be able to touch the bodies, but, but they'll put little flags, markers by the bones of those who came against Israel. Very fascinating to look at this. And then in verse 29, there's Edom. Edom, the Edomites, uh, they were the ones who were descendants of Esau, her kings and her princes, who despite their might, they laid beside those slain by the sword. They shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. They are princesses of the north, all of them, all the Sidonians, who have gone down with the slain in shame and at the terror they caused by their might. They lie uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Verse 31, as we read, Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitude. Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, says the Lord. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised. With those slain by the sword, Pharaoh and all his multitudes, says 
the Lord God. So all the nations, and it's quite a list, pride was the main characteristics of them. And again, uh, that the Lord says, I will bring you down to the pit. You and I, that we are to be humble before the Lord, even as we remember our lesson in Matthew, to be great in the kingdom of God is to humble oneself and become come in childlike faith, to humble my, ourselves, myself, and to serve others. That's how we become great in the kingdom of God. Not esteeming others better than, you know, or not esteeming ourselves above others, as Romans chapter 12 says, but giving preference to one another. Just being thankful to the Lord and looking to him for wisdom and for guidance. Now, next time, we're going to go into some important chapters about the watchman on the wall. And I really encourage you to join us for that study because God has called us to be watchmen on the wall, that we are to be watchmen, watch women, and very important lessons and reminders for us in the day in which we're living in. But we're going to stop here. This finishes that section of the proclamations against the nations. And, Father, we thank you that we can come and, again, be just blessed and and be encouraged and be instructed in your word. And we see what pride does. When we think that we can live a life without you, without your ways, that, Lord, we are brought down to the pit. It, It just, life becomes a pit because it fails. But you will never fail us. And, Lord, you are the one that your word is true. You're the one that gives us the strength that we need. You're the one that is the light in the darkness. You're the one that, Lord, guides us and directs us and gives us counsel. So, Lord, may we be wise enough to look to you, to go to you, to wait on you, and then to hear from you. May we build upon the solid rock, the rock Jesus Christ, to find stability. That when the storms do come in life, when the difficulties come, that we will be able to stand. And, Lord, I thank you that we belong to a kingdom that will last forever. Lord, we do pray for our nation. As we see how our nation is getting further away from you, we pray for spiritual revival. We pray that, Lord, that that we would stand on truth, that we need your help. We need a spiritual awakening. But, Lord, I am so thankful that we belong to a kingdom. The Lord is eternal. And that we would keep an eternal perspective And so, Lord, thank you that you're on the throne. And everything that we see is culminating for your purposes and for your plan. Lord, I pray you bless everyone here. And, Lord, I thank you that we can be reminded that you you are truly the Lord of heaven and earth. And so we just come to you and continue to want to learn of you. We want to be watchmen on the wall to warn others, to give truth to others, to be a light to others. Bless everyone here now. We look forward to meeting this Sunday as we talk about some very important things that are written in Scripture for us in Matthew. Lord, bless everyone here as, as, uh, that is listening, that, Lord, that we would go out, be used of you, to speak your word and your truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday. Have a great rest of the week.